First Timothy, the third chapter, beginning in verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. And turn over a couple of books to the epistle to Titus. And reading out of chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began, but hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of God our Savior, to Titus, mine own son after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ our Savior. For this cause left I in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. If any be blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of riot or unruly. For a bishop must be blameless as the steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work 
reprobate. Thus ends the reading of that portion of God's Word. Well, today is an historic day in the life of Reformation Church. It's a day of maturity. We are ordaining officers, as you know, and we're so grateful for uh, not only our our regular uh, people who are here uh, with this congregation, but those that have come from uh, all over the, the country, Virginia and Dallas and uh, various places, parts of uh, parts unknown, and some at least to me, uh, we thank you for that. God's word teaches us that the local church is to have at least one ordained elder. Um, and if you look at your bulletin, there is a uh, quote uh, by John Murray, which I thought was particularly apt from his book, The Presbyterian Form of, of Church Government. Um, It is in the local assembly or congregation of God's people that the ordinances of Christ's appointment for his church are regularly administered. The importance of the local congregation is therefore paramount, and it is in the local congregation that the Presbyterian principle must first be exemplified. In the New Testament, the presbyteron is simply the elders gathered together for the discharge of those functions of government devolving upon them, and no prerogative of presbytery is denied them when acting in that capacity. The Presbyterian principle begins at the level of the particular flock or congregation, and if for good reasons it does not extend further than one congregation, we are not to deem it unpresbyterian. To be concrete, to that local presbytery belongs all the functions that Christ has accorded to presbytery. Of course, that's the famous John Murray, uh, former professor at Westminster Seminary. The form of Presbyterian Church Government of the Church of Scotland, published in 1645 during the glorious Second Reformation, is biblical and thus instructive, quote, for officers in a single congregation, there ought to be one at the least, uh, one officer that is, both to labor in the word and doctrine and to rule. Uh, So Reformation Church has been a true congregation of Christ as far as biblical organization is concerned, even though we've had just uh, one elder. It does say one at the least, and if that's the standard, then I certainly qualify for that. Uh, There are three forms of church government. One form is entirely invented by man, and Scripture says will perish from the earth. And as we've been preaching through the uh, book of Revelation for the past uh, (laughs) five years, I think... I think we're in the home stretch now. Uh, but it's been very clear that that particular form uh, is going is clearly going to perish uh, from the earth. Uh, another form of church government is entirely biblical. Uh, and there's a third form of church government. It's really a subset of the second. It is also biblical, but it is an infantile, uh, the local congregation of the Lord's church in vitro, if you will, and meant to grow into the maturity of the second, uh, if, if possible. Um, The first form, which is entirely invented by man, is called uh, prolatic. Prolatic uh, comes from the Latin word prefere, which means to hold in special esteem or to come before. It's where we get the English word prefer. Uh, Applied to church government, it means the rule by a preferred hierarchy of officers in the church. Uh, It's based upon, actually, ancient pagan mysticism. Uh, which itself is rooted in the very beginnings of Babylon, going back to the time of Nimrod and and Seth and Semiramis. And, of course, uh, with the case of Nimrod and Semiramis, the source, of course, is the evil one. 
Uh, if you've never read uh, Alexander Hislop's book, The Two Babylons, I highly, highly recommend that to understand paganism, uh, to understand the New Age movement, uh, because he takes it back and says it's not. There's nothing new about the New Age movement. Uh, church prelacy imitates the Imperial Roman Empire hierarchy. Uh, in fact, they consciously. Uh, the early church consciously imitated the Imperial Roman Empire in how they structured the church itself. Uh, the Pope is the equivalent of the Roman Emperor, and these other people are lower down the ladder are the various hierarchies. Uh, in prelacy, there's a mul- multiplicity of church officers, and the ruling authority descends from the highest officers downward. In prelatic government, such as Roman, uh, the Roman faith, uh, Orthodox uh, faith, uh, Anglican, Episcopal, Lutheran, Methodist, to one degree or another in some of those, the people have little voice, uh, little decision-making power. For example, they can't choose their own pastor. Uh, he or she is dictated to them. Uh, the power comes from the top down. Now, the second form, which is the entirely biblical form, is uh, pres- presbyterianism, if you will. I made that up. Uh, it's the Greek word presbyteros, presbyters often translated as either elder uh, bishop, presbyter depending on which functions of the one office the Lord is addressing so don't get confused when it says bishop and and think oh well that that means like a bishop in the Roman or or Lutheran faith no, bishop is just a a translation of a word uh, that, that means the one office Presbyterianism simply means rule by presbyters, elders, as distinguished by a rule of a hierarchy uh, or rule by a a pope uh, or rule by one single pastor. The Lord's Church since the beginning has had presbyters. Uh, Adam was the first presbyter. Uh, He was the elder in the Garden of Eden. First church was in the Garden of Eden, uh, serving directly under the Lord. Presbyterianism is the only mature biblical form of church government. The third form of church government, also entirely biblical, but in its immature form, is congregationalism, uh, independency. Now, the Lord graciously allows his congregations to grow while they are immature. That is, being immature, I mean they know of no other biblically faithful congregation to which they can join in in a Presbyterian organization. But the Bible has no record of any um, uh, commandment that a, that a church has to remain independent. If it is, it is uh, really uh, uh, very important for a church if it finds a like-minded church to join together in some form uh, of Presbyterian organization. Well, why have officers at all? Why bother to have officers at all? Well, uh, we read in First Timothy, uh, excuse me, in Titus. Uh, where uh, Paul says in verse 4, To Titus, mine own son, after the common faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldst set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city, as I had appointed thee. Um, In Acts 6, if you would turn to Acts 6, please. (laughs) 
We read, And in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily menstruation. Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look out ye look out you excuse me, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So there the deacons were called out. Uh, by the way, serve tables uh, is a, uh, it's not talking about uh, a restaurant, it's the tables of the poor. Uh, uh, money was often exchanged on tables. Remember, Jesus went in and overturned the tables of the money changers. Uh, so they, they were saying, uh, we are serving the Lord in another capacity. We need men to collect for the poor, to handle the money, uh, inspect, uh, keep track of uh, the poor and the and the uh, indigent, uh, and distribute accordingly to them. Uh, that's uh, John Gill, in fact, uh, points that out in his commentary. Uh, the uh, deacons comes from uh, uh, the Greek word meaning to serve. That's what deacon means. So the first answer as to why we should have officers is that it is the biblical model for a church government, a commandment. Having officers also protects you and me. Suppose at some point someone in our church began doing something really bad and was unrepentant about it. Is the pastor to judge that person? Am I to judge that person alone? As some kind of a a dictator? But uh, if not... Do we just let that person go on in their unrepentant, sinful ways? Uh, If I declare discipline on them, what kind of recourse do they have? What appeal would they have? The Lord has a remedy for that. It's called the session, or in the continental tradition, the classes, which is made up of more than one church officer. The session is a church court when necessary. Uh, And it's referred to as a court when when it's... uh, when it's acting as a court. It hears evidence. It hears the one bringing the charge. hears the accused or their defender. It hears witnesses and renders a verdict. If the verdict is guilty, the session decides on the appropriate discipline. And I hope you know the goal is not to punish, but to bring the person into repentance and back into the fellowship. Every, every session I've ever served on in a disciplinary situation, we were very conscious of the fact that there, but for the grace of God, go we. We're not saying we're any you know, better than you are, more holy. We're just following the commandments of, of, God's, of the Lord's church. Now, suppose the session rules against that person. He or she has a remedy if we have some appeals process, like a Presbyterian organization or... Failing that, at least some agreement with another church court, such as the session of another like-minded congregation. That person can appeal to their session, who probably knows nothing of the case, and it can decide. Um, if, it rule, if that rules against the appellant, there's a higher church court, as there is in, in, a, in Presbyterianism, that person can appeal to the higher court. You know, we have a session, we have presbytery, uh, in some cases we have a synod, which is like a regional uh, um, uh, super presbytery, and finally we have the general assembly, which is all the churches of that country uh, representing, uh, all the presbyteries and, and the individual churches. So, in other words, presbyterianism, unlike congregationalism, protects the accused individual from the dictatorship of a pastor or the pastor's buddies. 
Let's uh, turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, the instructions from the Lord on the issue of officers. I'm going to read, uh, go through the Lord's requirements for church officers, and I realize we did this before when we uh, nominated and, and elected men, but we're going to do it a little differently today, make some other points, some the same, some different. Um, what I've done is take, take this apart and compare it to the 1599 Geneva Bible Notes, where the Lord gives requirements for in, uh, the comments of the, uh, rather, the Geneva Bible. If you don't know the Geneva Bible, uh, there's one published by um, um, a group of men recently, uh, but what I'm referring to is the original 1599 Geneva Bible, the Bible that came over on the Mayflower, uh, the Bible that Jim is holding there, if you want to look at that, the... Uh, uh, that is the uh, the Bible that uh, was uh, behind the Massachusetts Bay Colony, uh, the Bible that was um, the, the founding scriptures of this country. Um, there are biblical notes in that. Uh, the office of elder, says, is not an idle dignity. In other words, not some worldly honor, something that elevates you in the local social order to be taken lightly, but a work, and that an excellent work. Uh, the Bible says... Uh, uh, the Gene Bible says the man is called by God to work. Uh, the eldership and diaconate is work, by the way. Uh, requires a commitment of time, requires a desire, and woe to those who accept it for worldly gain or for thinking that you know they're a big. They'll be a big shot with the title uh, because there are demands it makes upon you. Uh, there are midnight phone calls. There are people who get into accidents and hospitalizations and uh, having crises of one form or another. And you are, you know, you're like a doctor. You're on call. Um, and the, the Geneva Bible comments: Therefore, he must be furnished with many virtues, both at home and abroad. Therefore, it is necessary before he is chosen to examine well his learning, his gifts, his abilities, and his life. Likewise, the deacons must first be proved that there may be a good trial of their honesty, truth, sobriety, mind void of covetousness, that they are well instructed in the doctrine of faith and to be short of their good conscience and integrity. Now, 1 Timothy 3, 2 through 7 says that elders must be blameless. The word blameless is used. Uh, that simply means having no outward behavior that someone could, could blame them for. Uh, blameless does not mean sinless. Uh, obviously, we know there's no sinless person uh, except the Lord Jesus Christ. First John 1.10 says, if we say, if, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, no, blameless means uh, outwardly not being able to be blamed. Uh, and, of course, the best situation is that your conscience is not blaming you either, even though you know you sin. At least you're, hopefully your sins are out of uh, weakness and not out of will. Geneva notes say not absolutely without fault, so none are, for there is none that liveth and sinneth not, nor altogether unblamed. This is rare and difficult. Christ himself and his apostles were blamed, though not worthy of it. But the meaning is he must be one who lies not under an ill character, but rather must have a good report even from those that are without. Even unbelievers say, well, you know, he's a real honest person. I can trust what he says. You know, I believe him. You know, I don't think he'd cheat. Whatever, you know, whatever you have the reputation in the world, Uh, not grossly or scandalously guilty, so as would bring reproach upon the holy function. First Timothy three continues with the qualifications of elders. 
the husband, excuse me, the husband of one wife. I will point out, it says the husband of one wife. It does not say the wife of one husband. It does not say it multiple wives. Um, Not that he must be married. Now, that is not the intent. Otherwise, Paul would have not qualified, right? Uh, We know he wasn't married from 1 Corinthians 1.8. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. So he makes it clear he he was not married. Uh, the requirement is that he be a man, and if married, to have one wife, not be a polygamist. Uh, he must be vigilant. Geneva Bible says he must be vigilant and watchful against Satan, that subtle enemy. He must watch over himself and the souls of those who are committed to his charge, of whom, having taken the oversight, he must improve all opportunities of doing them good. He must be sober. But again, the note temperate, moderate in all his actions, and in the use of all creature comforts. So it goes beyond liquor. Uh, Moderation in all things. Of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. An elder must be ready and willing and able and have the ability, uh, have the gift of teaching. Not given or addicted to wine. Uh, Not necessarily a teetotaler. Scripture does not say that. In fact, I probably have told you in my early days in faith when I, uh, Allison and I attended a uh, Southern Baptist church, I uh, had many questions and I remember counseling with the pastor and I, I said, uh, does scripture prohibit drinking of alcohol? And he says, I cannot tell you the scripture has a prohibition against drinking alcohol. No. And this is a Southern Baptist pastor. Um, so, scripture says not necessarily a teetotaler but not a drunkard is what uh, the uh, Geneva notes say. Seasonable and moderate use of this as of the other good creations of God is not unlawful. Psalm 104.15, and wine that maketh glad the heart of man. Uh, In the New Testament, Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.23, use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. But uh, excess therein is shameful in all, especially in an elder. No striker. Uh, Striker means violent person. Uh, One who is not quarrelsome, again, Geneva Bible, nor apt to use violence toward any, but does everything with mildness, love, and gentleness. Not greedy of filthy lucre, money. Uh, Again, Geneva Bible, who does not make his ministry to serve any secular design or interest. Uh, who sees no mean, who uses no mean, base, sordid ways of getting money? Who is dead to the wealth of the world? Be patient, not a brawler, not a, as not a striker with his hands, not a brawler with his tongue. Is what the Geneva Bible says. Not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the word of God? Uh, in uh, for Second Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. He wouldn't be taking care of his household that way. First uh, Timothy 5.8, But if any provide not for his own, especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So the Lord's very strict about that. Not a novice, says, lest being lifted up with pride, he falls into the condemnation of the devil. A new Christian, it's a very heady thing. Very exciting. You've never seen thought of these things before. You found the truth. Um, Satan can uh, can work with uh, new Christians too, uh, and lift them up with pride. 
and uh, again fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, again, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Uh, blameless husband, one wife have talked to. Uh, faithful children not accused of riot or unruly. Uh, unruly children is not a good, good thing for an elder to have. Uh, again, the Geneva Bible, obedient and good children brought up in the true Christian faith, living according to it at least as far as, as the endeavors of the parents can avail. Now, if an elder has a, an unruly child or a, uh, an unbelieving child, that's no condemnation of that elder necessarily. Uh, I, some, some good friends have had children uh, in the pastorate who have had children that are, were not believers. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, they're the subject of prayer. Uh, not self-willed, not soon angry, but a lover of hospitality. Uh, again, Geneva Bible, an evidence that he is not given to filthy lucre, but is willing to use what he has to the best purposes, not laying up for himself so as to hinder charitable laying out for the good of others. Let me interject here one of my favorite quotes uh, by... Uh, Never remember, it's John or Charles Wesley, because I don't quote him very often. Uh, you know, people say, well, a Christian, you know, a Christian should, should uh, uh, the poor you always have with you, and Christians shouldn't make money, it looks bad, and, you know, should, should only, should, should live as poor, poor as possible. Uh, and John or Charles uh, said, uh, a Christian should make as much money as possible, spend as little as possible, and give away as much as possible. Because think about it, how would the church survive without tithes and offerings? So that's it's a foolish idea to think, well, Chris, you know, there's there's some nobility in poverty. There's no nobility in poverty. There's no nobility in, in riches. Uh, the nobility comes from uh, your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. A lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. He should be a wise steward, one who is not rash or foolish or heady, but who can govern well his passions and affections. Just in things belonging to civil life and moral righteousness and equity and dealings, giving to all their due. Holy in what concerns religion. I'm reading here the notes. One who reverences and worships God and is of a spiritual and heavenly conversation. That means behavior. Temperate. It comes from, um, there ought to be uh, a word, there is, it comes from a word that signifies strength. Temperate signifies strength. Tempered steel is where we get that word. Uh, And denotes one who has power over his his appetite, his his, uh, desires and affections. Uh, He can restrain and hold them in. Nothing is more becoming a minister than such things as these. The Geneva Bible says sobriety, temperance, justice, and holiness. Sober in respect of himself, just and righteous towards all men, and holy towards God. The form of Presbyterian church government of the Church of Scotland, uh, as I said before, uh, quotes, as there were in the Jewish church elders of the people joined with the priests and Levites in the government of the church, so Christ, who hath instituted government and governors ecclesiastical in the church, has furnished some in his church besides the ministers of the word with gifts for government and with commission to execute the same when called thereunto, who are to join with the minister in the government of the church, which officers reformed churches commonly called elders. The number of which is to be proportioned according to the condition 
of the congregation. The scripture doth hold out deacons as distinct officers in the church, whose, and there are a number of scriptural references here, whose office is perpetual. Yes, by the way, your ordination is permanent, man. Your ordination is permanent. No matter whether you leave this church or decide to go somewhere else, your ordination is permanent. You never lose your, uh, your ordination. And you're not to be reordained. Uh, its uh, ordination is, is, uh, is done once. Um, uh, deacons to whose office it belongs not to preach the word or administer the sacraments, but to take special care in distributing to the necessities of the poor. Let's skip over some of this. I don't want to belabor this too much. Um, let me uh, let me skip over to deacons for the moment, and we're almost finished here. Deacons in First Timothy three, beginning in verse uh, eight. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchase to themselves a good degree and great boldness on the faith which is in Christ Jesus. That's quite similar to the requirements of elders. The offices are very similar in that regard. The requirements are are almost all the same. Since we have uh, some extra... Uh, since we're going to be ordaining today, we're going to have some extra time. I'm going to uh, end there, but I would like to have you turn to 1 Corinthians because I'd like to finish with 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. I thought it was particularly apt today uh, since we are moving into a new turning a corner in in the church today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not... I'm going to read the New King James Version uh, on this. You you may read along in whatever version you have, but I thought it was uh, particularly uh, made the point better. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. 
But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. And now abideth faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And that's not only for all church officers, it's all for all faithful Christians.